If you have uh, the scriptures nearby, we'll be in Psalm 121. If you, if you don't have a copy near you, that's no problem. We'll put up on the screen and uh, see what God wants to say to us today. As you head that direction, let me take just a second and thank uh, Greg Hayes and Phil Zito and Chase Whitney for uh, what they brought to the table. Absolutely. These guys serve as elders here at Living Hope, and they have been uh, preaching the last couple of weeks while I have been with our Zachary church plant, uh, kind of getting them ready for some big stuff they have coming up. And so uh, it's it's one of those one of those amazing realities is that I can leave and really it just no one misses a beat at all, and that is uh, a very comforting thing to be able to be away and know that everything will be just fine. So I want to thank them for uh, for their preparation and study and for listening to what God had for you guys the last couple of weeks. And I look forward to catching up on the podcast. Um, Psalm 121 is where we will spend our time, but it's going to connect to Psalm 23. Um, is this thing, this is on, it sounds like it might be on. It's not on. That's how you test the mic. You hit it. I learned that in college. Um, Psalm 23 is, is the text that we are praying through for the next month. And so uh, we started last week, but if you've, been, if you've been tracking along with us, we've only made it through the first verse. And so if you want to jump in, you're, you're just, you can catch up with no problem. This is the 30 Days of Prayer devotional. They're, they're short. You can catch up very easily. Um, and Psalm 23, verse 1, uh, is what we went through like almost like a word or so at a time for the last week or so. Um, and so the, the, the verse, this is what it says. Uh, you might be familiar with it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is a Psalm. Psalm 23 is, is where David, who was, who spent his younger years as a shepherd to start to realize all kinds of connections between, um, his, the way that he cares for his flock and the way God cares for him. And he writes it in this poem. Um, and so uh, he's making these connections that are there all through the psalm. And um, really, in this very first verse, another way of thinking of this line is, is he's saying that because of who my shepherd is, I won't, I won't lack anything. I don't, I don't need anything. There's, there's, there's nowhere in my life where I'm coming up short of what I need. And I think, you know, there's sometimes I feel like this psalm, like that, especially that line is sort of whenever you see the, the, in English when it says, it's like, I shall not do something, it feels like it's maybe like what part of the Ten Commandments, you know, like you shall not murder, you shall not covet. Almost like you're trying to talk yourself out of wanting. But that's not really the, like, what he's saying. What he's saying is, uh, it's like this realization because of the goodness of his shepherd. There's nothing that, that's missing. There's nothing that he's lacking at all in his life. And uh, it's really, it's hard to connect with a little bit because we, in our day and age, we're so conditioned to look at our lives and try to figure out what we're lacking. And then we do whatever we can do to try to like 
like find what's missing and put it into our lives. And some of that is because we are just subject to advertisement constantly. And if you've ever studied advertisement, like that whole like art, uh, it's how do we convince you that, that your life is missing something and this product will fill that void somehow. And so we do a lot of assessing of our lives and looking at what we're missing. And here's David saying almost the, the opposite. He's saying, I really am not missing anything. And sometimes that's kind of hard to connect with for us. And, you know, he's not saying, he's not looking at his life and saying, I am completely mature. I have nothing to learn from anyone. You know, he's not talking about that, that kind of like growth and, and those kind of things. Those things are healthy and important and good. What he's really pointing to is it's, it's a bigger connection to who God is to him and all of the, the, the provision that God has put into his life. Um, and, and, that, that is what is what he means when he says, I shall not want. He's realizing I don't lack anything. I'm not missing anything because of who my shepherd is. And so Psalm 121 kind of partners with this psalm in a way that I think might, might help us understand the full weight of what he says when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So let's walk through this psalm together. Um, let me just read the whole thing top to bottom. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So let's see how this psalm can maybe help us go even even more deeply into what David is saying in Psalm 23, verse 1. So let's start off with the first verse. It says, I lift I lifted my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So um, the hills in like in this part of the world, uh, you it's it's there. There's no flat ground in Israel, and so you're just it's constantly just rugged terrain, up and down, up and down, up and down. And there are hills, and we, we we'd probably call them mountains in Louisiana because uh, we don't know any better. But uh, there are hills and mountains and those kinds of things all, all around you all the time. And uh, there are, are a couple of things that different scholars think they may be referencing. One would be. Simply, simply looking to nature for help. Uh, that was a very common thing in the ancient Near East. They were, were constantly uh, looking to looking at the created and tr- and assigning a god to those various things. And so, whenever you you would have a, a god for the crops and a god for the cattle and a god for the river and a god for the sun and a god for the moon and all those kinds of things. And so. Some think that this is a reference to that worship of nature that happens. And I remember uh, being in seminary one day and they passed out a chart. And it was, uh, it was corresponding the, the ten plagues in Exodus with ten, of the, ten gods of the ancient Near East that were worshipped. And so even down to the frogs, like yeah, the weird ones, you know, the frogs and the, the, the river and the Pharaoh, all, the, all these things, were, there was a corresponding God. And they were saying how 
the plagues were, were God's systematic way of showing how he was more powerful than all these quote-unquote gods that they were worshiping. I remember thinking that was fascinating. And that was a part of the culture in the whole ancient Near East. And so some think that, that this is a way of saying, I lift my eyes to the hills. Does my help come from the hills? Does it come from, from creation, from nature, from all these things? Um, Others think that they're talking about the fact that whenever, uh, whenever some of the surrounding uh, nations and stuff, whenever they would build their idols to worship, they would always go up on a, on a hilltop. And so you could be traveling through Jerusalem and you could see structures up on top of the hills and sometimes people around them and worshiping them and all that kind of stuff. And so some think that the reference here is to the worship of idols up on the, the hilltops um, sometimes in the, in the scriptures, it'll refer to them as the high places. That's what they're talking about. Um, and really it's, we don't really know because we don't have the author sitting here to tell us, but really both of those ideas kind of fit together. It's this idea that, that am I looking, am I looking to the created order, uh, for, for help and security? Like, am I looking to something that has been made, which is a very normal human tendency and here we are in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, Paul says this in Romans one twenty five. Um, he's he's walking through this progression of events, and he says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who's blessed forever. Worshiping the the, the creature instead of the Creator. That's what this verse is, is referring to is in its various forms. We as humans tend to look to created things for help and security instead of the creator of those things. It's very common for us. You know, it's probably you're not sitting here saying I've never, never really heard that before. It's not unique to them. It's, it's something we experience. We have our own versions of these high places today. Um, just to pick on a couple of areas, you know, one, one of the high places for us, uh, tends to be relationships. We tend to look to people for help and for security. Um, that could be, that could be friendship. That could be marriage. That could be someone that you're dating. You know, it could be, it could, for some, it's just relationship status at all. Just, just to be in a committed relationship, uh, you could just be dating someone. You don't even have to like them. Just to date someone brings security and help sometimes. You know, we, we live in this over-romanticized culture uh, that, paints, that paints this picture of, well, here's, here's, really what, here's how to fix your life. Just start dating somebody or just, just, just marry them. It'll be fine. And then every married person I know just laughs and shakes their heads at it, you know. But that's such a cultural thing is that we tend, we tend to look at those romantic relationships and sometimes even to friendships as that's who we go to when we need help, when we, to make us feel secure, when we need guidance, when we need uh, counsel, when we need, you know, comfort. We tend to a lot of times go to people. We also, uh, the second area to pick on would be obviously money and possessions, you know. Um, you, you get to where you need help or you're in kind of a bind or something like that. And you're thinking if I, if I only had more money and when you're in a financial bind, that makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My solution here is that I need money. And so, um, I, I just need to get money. That's really like the bottom line. I've got to pay this bill. I've got to pay for school. I've got to pay the rent. I got to pay this thing. 
I need money, I need help from money. Or it could be possessions, and you could you could maybe have a little bit of a like it's like therapeutic for you to go and buy things. You know, it's a very common, you know, common thing for us. And it's all just a form of us looking to stuff for help. Um, another thing another area, the last one I'll pick on for right now is just accomplishments, you know. Like these these kind of like life life trophies that we have on display of things that we've done. Um, sometimes you're just, you know, you're thinking, oh, if I could just, if I could just get this, this, uh, raise at work, if I could just be acknowledged by my boss about this, or if I could just get out of school, or if I could just like accomplish this next thing, um, if I could just rack up more, like more like accolades in life somehow where people are able to look at me and say, ah, he's, he's made it. He's successful. He's done those things. We kind of have, we have this list I could probably keep going, but we have our own versions of these high places, these things, these lofty things that we look to for security, for comfort, for guidance, for help in some sort of situation. And the thing is, those things I just listed, they're in and of themselves, they're not sinful or wrong. I'm not here to say never, never get married, never have friends, never have stuff, never accomplish anything. That's not, it's not really what the Bible is going for. But um, in and of themselves, they're they're not. There's nothing wrong with them. But it's our attachment to them. It's it's the role that we allow them to play in our lives sometimes that's being spoken to here. Now, in their case, he's looking. You know, if we're looking at nature, nature is good. If we worship nature, that's not good. He's, if they're talking about I- idols that are being built, that's just all across the board bad. And for us, it's about the role that we let some of these things play in our lives. Um, whenever these things become the source, and, and listen, listen closely to me, whenever these become the source of help and strength and security and comfort, that is when we have crossed into dangerous territory. And so this would be a psalm that was a, that was a, a part of a journey as a family would get together and they would travel uh, to Jerusalem by foot uh, for the like, holy festivals and things like that. This is a group of psalms that they, would, that they would sing or read and discuss as they were going. This was the playlist. Uh, this prepared them for the journey. And so imagine you're with, a fa- you're, you're with your family and you're walking through the hills and there's idols set up that you can see and you get the kids together and you say, kids, listen, listen close to me. Look up at those hills. Is that where our help comes from? And the answer is no. Like it's a resounding No. Our help does not come from those things, from those idols, from those created things that we tend to exalt or lean on more than we need to. Our help does not come from the created. It comes from the creator. And that's where we go in verse 2. It says, my help, look at it, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He says, look at, look at those hills. Does their help come from the hills or the one who made the hills? Look at the relationships in your life. Does your help come from your spouse, 
your kids, your friends, your family, your co-workers? Or does it come from the one who made all of them in his image? You know? Does it come from our stuff, our accomplishments, or does it come from the creator of all those things that are good? So in all circumstances, I have one source for all that I need. For you, in all circumstances, you have one source that provides all the things that you need. So it doesn't really matter what you face. I started thinking about it. I was like, why would I even, why would I even consider going to the created when I have the creator as an option, you know, like why, why settle? Why? It doesn't even make sense, like logical sense. And it's almost like sometimes we just need that, that reminder to us. We need that. Like we need someone to like, like take like look us in the eye and like put their, like you do with a child and you put like your hands on both sides of their face. You're like, look at me. Why would you look for help in the created when the creator wants to do this with you, this very thing I'm doing to you. The one who created all those things will guard and keep your life. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Like this realization of like, look look who is tending to my life. Are you kidding me? I don't have to settle for some scrub of a shepherd I have the creator of the universe looking after my life. That's what David is trying to communicate. That's what he's realizing. He's passing that on. Now, don't get me wrong. This creator of the universe is going to use things he has created to keep you and to bless you. So all those things that I uh, talked about, yes, those will play a role in like in like the taking care of his people. So will God use other people in your life to take care of you? Absolutely he will. You better hope that he will use your friends and your spouse and your kids and your family and your community group and your church and your coworkers and your neighbors. You better you better hope that he will use those, but they are not the primary source of what is keeping your life. And when you lean on them like they are primary, you are you're you're living your life upside down. And so to see those people as a gift from God to you is to treasure them properly. That's when you begin to listen to them. That's, that's when you stop, you stop having that, that kind of human tendency to use people for what they can do for you. And you start to see them as gifts that have been given to you. And so when God is the primary source, people in those relationships fall into the right category for us. Money and possessions begin to play the role they're supposed to play. We stop, we stop idolizing money and stuff and we start to recognize that, that God has provided jobs for us. And if you are searching for a job, he will provide a job for you. He will. If you are unable to work, he will provide for you as well. That the generosity of God's people, it's all because it's his money in the first place. So why do we, why do we give 10% of what we make to the church? Because we trust that the Lord is our shepherd and he can do more with the 90% than we can do with the 100%. 
And when we all put the 10% in there, then it goes to take care of those who are looking for jobs and who are struggling to make ends meet. It goes to fund the ministry to make, to bring the kingdom of God near in tangible ways because the Lord is our shepherd. We don't want for anything. And so money becomes a, a gift. It's a resource. It's not this primary thing that we're looking for as the answer to all of our problems. Accomplishments is the same thing. So God is the primary source. Our help does not come from the created. It comes from the creator. That's like the big idea in this psalm. So we look to him first and foremost as the giver of all these things that are good. And so that, that bedrock idea, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of who my shepherd is, I don't lack a single thing. My shepherd created everything and he's able to use all that he has created to take care of me and to take care of everybody around me and to take care of the entire planet. And so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, becomes this, it isn't this thing of you're trying to talk yourself out of wanting, you're boasting of saying, I cannot believe that I have it this good. And I'm sure that there's a part of your, of your mind, your heart that just settles in like a warm blanket. You're like, yeah, I like that. And there's a part of you that's already finding objections. That's human nature. Maybe that's why this psalm is more than one line. Look at the next couple of things. Verse 3. He'll not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So verse 3, it's about your foot being moved. As they're traveling, they were, they were very paranoid about injury, apparently. And for what, from what you can read through all the different ancient writings, that was like a, a, a concern that someone would, would twist an ankle or something like that. And that, that was a very difficult situation on a lot of levels in the ancient Near East. And so a part of what, of what is being communicated is that as you travel through your life in this rough terrain... Um, he's not, he's not going to let you, he's not going to let you be injured. I'll come back to this in a second. So hang on to that one. Look at the next one. Um, that he doesn't slumber. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, you and I, we don't function super well when we haven't had enough rest, do we? You have, you have one, of those, one of those restless nights and the next day is pretty brutal. And you stack a couple of restless nights together and you become like on those old Disney cartoons where you'd have like Goofy was like nice and neat and then he was like Jekyll and Hyde and he would become like crazy Goofy. I, I've, I've seen that before. I've experienced that in the mirror many times where I'm like, what is wrong with me? And you're like, oh yeah, it's because I haven't slept in like four nights. We can't function without it. And so they're, as they're traveling, they're having to stop and they're having to rest. They're having to rest the animals that they had with them. They're having to rest the kids and they have to rest themselves. This idea of slumber, and that was a dangerous thing because as they're traveling, uh, there were, were, just like in our day, there were people waiting to take advantage of you. And so there were thieves who were, were waiting to rob you. And so the, even the Good Samaritan story is an example of the dangers that when you travel uh, is that robbers will come in and they'll beat you up and take your stuff. This is how it works. 
And so sleeping was a very nerve-wracking thing because no one was standing watch over you. And so you either took shifts or you just risked it somehow. He's saying, you know, the one who watches over you, he never has to take a nap. He doesn't get tired. That he's like this fully present guardian over your life. So you, you lay your head down and you take a nap. It'll be okay. The one who keeps you never sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't have to because he, he's infinite. He's not like us. And so as your helper, your keeper, he's always on the clock. And sometimes, sometimes we just need that reminder, you know. Sometimes you look around and you're like, man, is God, is he, is he taking a nap on me or something, you know? Is he, is, or is he distracted somehow? Is he, is he too busy trying to like keep the Middle East peace thing happening, you know, and all that stuff, and he's kind of forgotten about me over here? No. No. Sometimes our, our fears, our insecurities speak up, and we, and we, we want to convince ourselves that God's off just doing something else, but he's, he's on the clock. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, because he, he doesn't need to. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. That incorporates some more, some more traveling risks. Uh, rest was one of them. Uh, the sun was, was another one. You know, sun exposure and heat stroke and all those kind of things and sunburn and all the normal sun-related things. And then sometimes the moon can also have really weird effects on, on things. And so you would try to find shade. And this is all speaking to these, these concerns as they were traveling their way through life. All of this. Your foot being moved, the sun, the moon, the shade. These were all like on, on their minds. And they were worried. Traveling was a stressful thing. Kind of like life. He's saying, look, the, the Lord is like standing guard for you and he's keeping harm away from you. Now it's easy to, um, to push back on that because you look around our lives and we're like, well, there's a lot of pain in our lives. How, how can this be true? How, how can this psalm, like how can you look these kids who are traveling through there, and you say, God is your helper. Um, He never sleeps or slumbers. He won't let your foot be moved. Uh, He won't let the sun or the moon or anything like that. He won't let any of that, any of our concerns that we're going through in life, it'll all be fine because of who our shepherd is. Then how do you look that kid in the eye at some point and be like, well, dad has cancer. Well, um, Mom lost her job. Well, fill in the blank, you know. I, mean, I can look around the room, think of all, all, all kinds of difficulty that have been faced in the past and going through right now. And so it makes traveling through life, a ner- it's a nerve-wracking thing. You never really know what's going to happen. I mean, you guys were in this room last week 
And then you leave and you find out about the helicopter crash in California, you know. And you can watch the news coverage. Everyone, it's like everyone's just shocked because it's this sober reminder that life is a vapor, you know, that we're not guaranteed uh, tomorrow. We're not guaranteed an absence of suffering or pain. In fact, Jesus just looks us in the eye and he's like, you're going to have some trouble in this world. He says, but, but you can't lose heart because I've actually overcome that. And so how do, the, how do all those fit together? Here's the, here's, the best, here's the best way I can see these fitting together. Is we have, to, we have to understand and keep in mind that there is a difference between um, what the, the brokenness of the world and its impact on us physically and the 100% preservation of a restored soul by Jesus. So yeah, we're going to go through life and we're going to get sick and we're going to get hurt and we're going to have disappointments and we're going to have all those things because we live in the overlap between the broken world and the world to come. We put those circles together. We live right there in the middle, but nothing can get to you like who you really are. Cancer can't touch your soul. Divorce can't touch your soul. Abandonment, abuse, trauma, all those things, as awful as all those things are, they, they can't do real eternal harm to you. Peter calls Jesus the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's why you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you don't have to be afraid of the evil that is a part of that journey because your shepherd is overseeing and guarding your soul. And so this is easy for me to say right now because and I'll, I'll use cancer as an example because I don't have cancer. It's easy for me to say, bring on cancer. Can't do nothing to me. If I ever go to the doctor and get that report... I want you to remind me that I said that. But I got my own stuff, you know. I got my own uh, grief to work through in our family from the last year. It's hard for me to say, yeah, bring on, bring on the death of an infant, you know. Can't touch my soul. That's so It's brutally hard to even say that. It's not in my notes, so don't, don't judge me for it, but... I'm sitting here just trying to think, how, do, how can these possibly fit together? It's b- because I, ha- I have to see the separation, you know. We have to see the separation between what the brokenness of the world can impact and what it cannot. Because someone outside of ourselves is keeping us. He's the keeper and so what, and what my family went through and, and losing my, uh, my niece, uh, nine-week-old niece. Again, I wasn't pre- prepared to talk about this, but you just had been here a few weeks ago. I'll make up for it. I, I had to walk through that and recognize that God's keeping her, you know. She has a keeper. And I have the same keeper, Whatever you're walking through, you have a keeper. 
And the shrapnel of, of the brokenness of our world, is, it's going to bring certain stuff your way. And you'll never walk by yourself through it. He's given us himself and he's given us each other. We don't have to be alone. But remember, whatever, whatever the world does to us physically and emotionally and all those kinds of things, there's nothing that can get to your soul. He's the shepherd and overseer of your soul, and he is keeping that and will preserve that all the way to the end. And so as these, these pilgrims are getting together and as they're traveling, that's how these adults can look at these kids and they can say, your help does not come from up there. And hopefully they're even saying, your help doesn't come from mom and dad. Your help doesn't come from grandma and grandpa. We're all here to play a role in your life, but it is not to be your keeper and your helper in that regard. You're looking for the capital C creator to speak into your life. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Six times in the psalm, he's referred to as a keeper. You think they're trying to make a point? (laughs) That God is always watching over his own. That you are kept. And I bet that you're walking through something Some area of your life needs that truth spoken into it, that reminder. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for someone that you know. To be reminded that the creator of all is watching over and keeping you. So if someone were to sit down with me and say, Hey, I'm not real sure how to how to get Psalm one twenty one like in into me and applied in my life. It's one of my favorite things to get to do with people is just to sit down and hear those kinds of questions and say, let's, let's talk about that. So that's, that's an invitation. Um, here, here are three things I would say really quickly of how to, how to apply Psalm 121 to what you're dealing with. The first thing would be, you have to believe that it's true for you. Like you, you can't make yourself an exception to something. So if you're sitting in a community group and there's 15 people there, you can't believe it for the other 14 and yet you are the precious uh, um, exclusion from this being true. You have to believe it's true for you. And so the first thing I would say to do is, you, is get really specific. Like believe that he's watching over you, that, he, um, that he's never like dozing off or distracted, that he's keeping you from true harm to your soul, that every moment of your life, this is true for you. And you kind of sit with that thought and you say, do I believe this? And sometimes, and even this is probably the case right now, some of you are like, absolutely, I'm all in. I absolutely believe that. That's great. And then some of you are probably, it's probably like a, there's like a one foot in, one foot out. You know, you're like, oh, I've got 60, 40 on that being true for me. Like, okay, we work with that. And in that case, you have the opportunity to choose to believe it, even in the face of, of that kind of seeming lopsided. You say, I, I'm 60, 40, 60, I believe it. I'm like, cool, we'll go with the 60. 
I'm going to choose to believe that this is true. So maybe you believe it all, all the way. Maybe there's, maybe it's kind of a ratio, or maybe you are like, nope, don't believe it. Then, then, then that becomes what you bring into the second second thing. But the first thing you have to believe this is true for you if you want this to apply. The second thing that I would would counsel someone to do is to basically follow the example of Jesus and entrust yourself to the Lord. Even whether you believe it 100% or 0% or somewhere in the middle, entrust yourself to him. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2.23. Right before Peter says that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls, he says this, uh, this is about Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There's a lot in that verse, but focusing on that, that part, as Jesus is going through suffering, he, he continued to entrust himself to the Father. It's a matter of, of saying, of like, you just take your life and you, just, you hand it over to him. You say, I'm not going to be self-reliant in this. I'm not going to muscle through this. I'm not going to take the bull by the horns and be my, the hero of my own story. I'm going to entrust myself to you. Whether you believe it 100% or 0%, you're saying, I'm trust, entrusting myself. Even in, in zero belief, you can still entrust yourself to him. You do that in, in prayer. You come before the Lord and you tell him that. And you don't just tell him that and then wait a few minutes back. I don't feel any different, so I guess that was no good. No, it's an ongoing thing. It's a continual thing. Ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And the third thing I would say is you just, you just keep going. Like you keep living your life. You, you keep going on the journey forward. So you go to work and you're entrusting yourself to him. You go home, you're entrusting yourself to him. You go to a community group, you, you do whatever you do and you're entrusting yourself to him. You're telling him that. And when this becomes the rhythm of your life, your belief will solidify. It will, it will emerge. You will, you will find yourself less, um, less skeptical that Psalms like 121 and 23 can actually be true for you. And then when we gather, the songs that we sing, they're a little different, you know. And it's, it's, it's a part of how we all grow and become who God has for us to be. So at the end of the day, because the Lord is your shepherd, you, you lack nothing. Don't, don't make yourself an exception to that. Just receive it. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Well, that's awesome if you know that the Lord's your shepherd. But if you're here today and you're like, I'm, I'm not really sure that I know what that means or how I can be certain that that's the case. Please don't leave here without talking to us. In a few minutes, we'll have some people on the front row that would love to talk to you about it now or just hang around afterwards. But don't leave wondering if that is the case. If you are kind of like new to things around here, uh, when the sermon is done here in a minute, we respond in a couple of different ways. 
and one of them is we'll we'll sing. We even have a we have like a new song that's kind of a fun one that might become uh, one that you like. I hope. Um, you can pray. You can come and kneel here at the steps and pray. We'll have two communion lines. And to me, this is this is one of those like really beautiful, tangible things. That you you take the bread and you dip it in the in the juice, and they're going to say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and they're going to say that over and over and over again, because we have a shepherd who has endless resources, that he can die once and for all, like one death for all of us, and so there's enough of him, and that's that's a reminder of the grace that you the grace that you need. To walk in this reality is yours in him. And so you don't have to be a member of this church to come in the communion line. This, it's his body and his blood, and he says for you. If you believe that, that Jesus is the Savior who's done this, then you come on. Um, so all these things will be happening around the room. There will be people coming to pray, and we'll be singing, and people have communion. So uh, if you see a lot of people moving around, it's totally on purpose. Uh, we want we do that on, so that the different personalities and the different things that are stirring in the room through the service, you can kind of have an outlet for next steps that's varied in that way. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And we'll set those responses into motion for a few minutes as we uh, just kind of respond to what God is doing. Join me as we pray. Father, it's a it's a humbling thing to know that we are that we're kept by the creator and sustainer of all things. And I think there's a part of all of us that feels like you probably have better things to be doing. But you set it up this way. Like your, your desire is to keep watch and guard over all of your children who are made in your image. And so um, we're th- grateful for that. And I pray, Father, that in these next few moments you help us uh, in responding through song or prayer or communion or all, all of it together. Whatever needs to sink down deeply into us, that you would use these things, these created things, to bless us and to keep us and to help solidify some things you may be stirring in us. And Lord, for anyone here who is pushing back on this idea and struggling to believe that this is true for them, I pray that you would just overwhelm them with reality. We love you very much. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our communion stations are open. You can come and pray, receive communion, sing as you feel led.